Welcome to the Water People Podcast. Today, we're in conversation with Peter Wish Wilson, a surfing senator from the great wild Australian state of Tasmania. Being completely honest, I'm actually very clueless when it comes to politics, Australian politics, and I'm pretty disillusioned by the whole realm of politics as well. But there are always people and there's always exceptions to the rule. There's always people who are still maintaining their humanity in areas that seem to be really good at taking it away from people. And Peter Wish Wilson is one of those people. He's this guy who's been working so tirelessly and so passionately in one of the most incredibly wild and beautiful parts of the world, which is Tasmania. And... I've heard his voice so many times over the years and always wanted to sit down and have a yak with him because I've heard him speaking in Parliament where he's been, in my mind, the only rational voice there speaking for entire species that can't obviously speak for themselves, like the humpback whale population that migrates from Antarctica up to Australia and goes up the west and the east coasts. And a few years ago, there was groups like Sea Shepherd going to the Antarctic Southern Ocean whale sanctuaries to defend whales like the humpbacks from Japanese whaling fleets that were going down there, industrial whaling fleets, like not traditional hunting, huge industrial ships. And when Sea Shepherd stopped being able to do that the last couple of years, Peter Wish Wilson was in Parliament and just scolding our government and getting so stuck into them for not stepping up to the plate and looking after these whales that are so treasured by Australian people and such an integral part to tourism and economies along the coast that thrive because of those whales. So that and other things over the years where he's really stepped in as this voice for coastal people and for coastal creatures, marine life, mm. has just always yeah, made me really curious about him and how he can stay human in that space and if it was surfing that helped him mm. to get to that place and if it is still surfing that helps him maintain his humanity as a politician. What I love about Peter Wish Wilson is the fact that he's not only kind of a um, left-leaning green political senator. He was also a banker in the driving room of global capitalism working in New York City. And the story he shares with us today is about making a decision to step away from that and how it set him on a path to where he's now, which is in service of his country and in service of protecting wild spaces like his state of Tasmania. Yeah. From my point of view, a very admirable aspect of Peter Wish Wilson is that he's just doing something with the feelings he has. He's doing something with the inspiration he gains from, obviously, from being a surfer and a coastal fella and having a family. And those are things for him that have not just been sort of thorns in his side or something that shapes his perspective of the world is actually turned into active pursuit for change. Mm. And he gives it a shot. He's giving these things a shot, you mm. know, and often we can all be so critical of people in the political circle, but they're in there getting their hands dirty and giving things a go. Mm. And I know I couldn't do that. I am such a 
anti-humanist, uh, what's the word for people like me? Throw. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I just wanted to hear you say it. Um, but I am, you know, and I think a lot of other surfers are the same. You know, we we like to share surfing experiences together, but a lot of the time we're kind of, we dodge each other and we like to escape a lot. We like to go into that world that is not so anthropocentric as our daily lives. Mm. And I think Peter's the same. He loves to go surfing on his own. He lives in Tassie. It's a very spacious surfing part of the world. You know, you can surf alone all the time if you want. Mm. Yeah, it's just fascinating to talk with someone who can dance between those two worlds. Mm. Yeah, I was a little bit hesitant to start talking politics overtly here because this has been such a personal anecdotal podcast thus far but we both felt like Peter was capable of getting on that human level and having a conversation in a way that feels like a lot of politicians are too afraid to do to crack their public facade but I was really interested in um, interviewing or having you interview Peter Wilson not to push an agenda but just to stress the importance of engagement and being part of the political process democracy is this incredible privilege that most people in the world don't even have and our ancestors fought for our rights to participate in politics and not be ruled by dictators so we really are charged with this responsibility to do right by them and to do right by our children who will inherit the decisions that we allow our politicians to make and so this is really a conversation about the power of community the power of grassroots activism even in remote communities to make change and demand more from our politicians yeah, and especially in this moment right now. And as people living in Australia and seeing what's going on with this crazy steamrolling of community wishes and steamrolling of popular opinion in Australia with things like Adani, with things like fish farms in Tasmania hoping to expand, and with the very popular issue of Equinor, the Norwegian mining company trying to come and extract oil in the Great Australian Bight, all of that is making the participation in politics really important right now in Australia. Mm. Because if we don't participate, all of a sudden we will see oil rigs off the coast. Or all of a sudden we will see gas platforms off of Sydney and Newcastle and we'll see industries pulling their way into pristine parts of this country that we all hold so dear as coastal people and that people from all over the world celebrate and come here to celebrate and experience. And someone like Peter is in that engine room of decision making and policy change and and governmental uh, protection. And, and we need to just back him up, back people like that up, mm. you know, no matter what party they belong to, if they have that sincere intention, that sincere plan to protect people and a place and other species, then we've got to back them up. Yeah, I think part of our mission here, part of the seed of this podcast that I loved is just a reminder. Um, you know, part of the conversation goes into the Fight for the Bike campaign that sort of echoed around the world to stop the Equinor Mining Company from exploring in the Great Australian Bite. And we saw that together when we gather, when we make the time to show up and have conversations as a community and decide what we'll accept in our communities and along our home beaches and what we will not. Mm. When we do that together, when we gather as a community, we can have real, lasting, tangible change. And the Fight for the Bike campaign was a really 
I think empowering example of how we can do that, not only as surfers, but if we gather as ocean people with sailors, with divers, we actually represent a considerable constituency that can affect you know, mm. the political process. Mm. And from, from my point of view, um, I always come back to the Bentley blockade and the kind of joke is that the day after we managed to get surfers to go out to the Bentley blockade was the day that, you know, basically shit hit the fan and the permits were pulled for the company Metgasco and the riot police were going to come but they didn't come and the whole thing came to a head and, and then started to resolve itself. We were the tipping point. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's just, you know, like those sort of moments where you actually do experience a protective win of some sort are really hard to forget. You know, you just carry them with you forevermore. And I think everyone who lives where we live, northern New South Wales and Australia, who experienced the Bentley blockade, and if you haven't heard of Bentley blockade, go online and just type those words in and you'll see the story. But basically, that was an incredible example of a diversity of people coming together and previously kind of opposed groups of people like farmers and feral greenies, who, <laughs> you know, who would be on other sides of the fence in another decade or on another issue. But on this one, when it comes to our water quality and air quality in this area and not wanting to create a gas industry in this beautiful area. Um, we were all solid on that and all in agreement, and it was tipped into action. And at the end of the day, there were political levers that were pulled and permits were pulled and, and those things happened from that diversity really, really taking shape, that there was a blockade, a grassroots movement, there were physical barriers being created, but there were also bureaucratic wheels turning. There were also governmental angles being pursued and conversations happening. And that was a huge success mm -hmm. because of that diversity. So mm -hmm. that's why, you know, I personally, I think I'd probably throw up if I went into some kind of parliamentary space. I would feel so sick and just over it. I would be hopeless in that space. I don't understand that world but I know we need it and I know it exists for a great reason and that's why it's great to talk to someone like Peter who can humanise that space that so often I hear myself demonising and hear other surfers just going, ugh, politics, don't even, let's not even talk about it, you know. So that's a good reason to talk about it and move <laughs> into it because it is a bit of a sticky space. Yeah, and in this conversation you'll hear... Lots of beautiful birds and kookaburras. Yes, yeah, so you'll hear those in the background and let's dive in. Yeah, thanks for joining. Enjoy. The Water People podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Sanook. They craft the comfiest footwear around and have been advocates for a more playful and inclusive surfing culture for more than two decades. Thanks Sanook for your support and for encouraging water people around the globe to protect their happy places. Learn more about Sanook's partnership with the Surfrider Foundation at sanook.com. Thanks also to Gary McNeil Concepts for their support in making the podcast possible. Gary McNeil shapes some of the quirkiest boards around and is constantly innovating with new board materials like hemp and flax to reduce the petrochemical footprint of his boards. Learn more at garymcneilconcepts.com.au. Pete, thank you for coming and uh, sitting down and having a chat. As Lauren was mentioning, uh, our Water People podcast is 
just launching at the moment and as we were talking before has the goal of kind of illuminating corners of the surfing or coastal yep. communities that don't have a lot of light shed on them you know but are full of these really bright characters so um, the idea of sitting down with people like yourself is to is to kind of hear some uncommon stories and continue to expand our culture and and just hear some good stories and um and learn a little from each other you know this yeah. it seems like the podcasting right now is is a bit of a modern version of sitting around the campfire yeah. you know and passing things on so that was our our idea with this is that you know we have this global surfing organism where we we have mates all over the world um we have this ability to talk story here and east coast of australia but we know as soon as we put this thing on the net there's people listening in the uk and in norway and south america and japan and you know pretty much everywhere that there's a bit of coast yeah um so yeah so thanks for just coming and being a part of it the one thing we do with everyone and i've kind of thrown you under the bus here i don't know if lauren mentioned this question or not but we ask people for a story where you may have had a moment in or around the ocean where after that moment you're never quite the same. What's unusual about me is um, I'm, I'm a passionate surfer and have been since I can remember, um, but I'm also in this really weird planet called politics that, you know, there's been a couple of surfers that have ventured into that. And um, yeah, I, I thought about, you know, what, what was a, a turning point for me or a, a defining moment. And, and um, it's a really good question. And I haven't actually thought about something like this before. Probably the first time in my adult life when I was actually really honest with myself. When I actually stood up for myself and decided to change my life and uh, march to the sound of my own drum, you know, not, not, not just go with the flow. And I, I was working uh, in New York. I was um, staring out of the window of the, the old World Trade Center, the, the North Tower of the World Trade Center. And I was being, my company that I was working for had been bought by a big aggressive uh, firm called Merrill Lynch. They were sending me home, which I was actually quite happy about. I decided I wasn't really for me. And they just, the, the second last day, they sprung this big job offer on me to, to stay. And I remember the, the boss said, I'm going to leave you, in, leave you in here for five minutes to think about it. Um, and I'll be back. So you have some time to yourself. Uh, and I remember he, I was just pretty shocked. I didn't know what I was, what I was, what I was going to do. And I remember looking out the window of the World Trade Center and, you know, the Staten Island ferry going past, uh, looking across at the Statue of Liberty, and I just thought, no, nah, look, I've, I hated my life. I, I was really miserable being a banker in, you know, the, the engine room of, of kind of global capitalism. It just wasn't for me, and I, I knew this is kind of the pinnacle if I wanted a career there. And I said, no, nah, I just want to go home. I want to change my life. Um, and, you know, he came back in and was quite shocked at my decision. And, uh, and, and I, from then on in, um, you know, my life changed. Mm. I, I was in control of where I wanted to go. And I was that, that honesty empowered me to do different things with my life. And the odd thing, you know, the irony of it, and it's a sad irony, looking back, that was very close to where the plane flew into the World Trade Center. And um, the company I was, I was working for, Merrill Lynch, um, you know, they were aggressive, greedy bunch of bastards and, and they all got destroyed during the global financial crisis, if anything, they helped create it. So I look back at that decision now and it kind of set me on a path. I didn't know where I was going, but I knew that I was in control and I'd made a, 
decision that made me feel good about myself. The Iraq War, 9-11 obviously was a huge issue for me. The Iraq War was a turning point. That was when I decided to, the very first time in my life as, as an adult that I marched in a protest. I turned up to work one day in, in, in um, at the Manly Ferry, which I caught every morning. I lived in Manly, I'd surf, you know, Winky Pop or Ferry Bower most mornings before work. Uh, and I saw these blokes who had written no war on the Opera House. And that was it for me. I made the decision that day that I was getting out and I was going to go to Tassie and I was going to live a different life. Um, my parents were down there on a farm. I planted my vines, enrolled in uni. Uh, I had a kid, that, two kids at that stage, two babies. And, uh, and you know, that was the turning point for me, mate. And, and it all started in that one moment when I decided to be honest to myself. And if I hadn't been a surfer, I don't think I would have made that decision. I'd had a few waves when I, I lived in New York for nearly two years. I went down to Puerto Escondido on a holiday. You know, we got waves around um, JFK Airport. And, yeah, but, but it was, it, it, yeah, that, mate, yeah. You, I, I really missed the ocean. I missed that kind of life. Whenever I reflect on this weird journey that I've been on in my life, surfing's just been central to, to the whole lot, mm. especially Tassie where I, I moved. Um, I wasn't convinced that I was, it was a good thing for me to do. I was living in Sydney, as I said at the time, and had it, went down to see my folks and they had had a bloke from nearby who told me about a, a point break uh, that on the north coast of Tassie it was world class and I kind of hadn't heard much about it and it's only 45 minutes from our farm and that was the absolute clincher for me. I said, right, if there's a decent, <laughs> a half decent wave, because north coast Tassie is not seen necessarily for being that great. And, and funny enough, that, that I, got, I, I surfed that wave that first year I lived on the farm bringing up my kids, did my first vintage on my own. I surfed that wave every week or sometimes three or four times a week during winter. And that was where one of the world's biggest pulp mills was going to dump 30 billion litres of industrial waste right near that spot. So when I kind of connect the dots now, it's, you know, that, that was when I really got active in the environment movement. When I started, you know, I joined the Greens and started getting political. It all came from being a surfer. And it's fantastic because it's not like you were in the water and you had this epiphany. No. It was a lack of that. I was looking at the water. That. I was looking at the, <laughs> yeah. the, the yeah, Statue look. of Liberty and, of, and the yeah. ferry and, and this busy life, you know, like New York's yeah. got an energy about it. And you it, were right? envisioning the cl like clear, beautiful waters of Australia and East Coast Australia or East Coast Tassie, or, you yeah. know, and what a contrast. Well, and, and, you know, look, I, I don't know if you've been to New York, Dave, but, you know, it's a pretty exciting place. Yeah. And, 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 well, you know, I had a good job and a really good job offer and... Uh, and it was just something I just couldn't, I just couldn't deal with it, mate. Mm. I, and things were going well, but I, I was so desperately unhappy. Mm. And, and, I, and I've absolutely no doubt I was just literally a fish out of water. Yep. It's really great to be able to sit down. I'm a, a really big fan of yours. When I see you speaking on behalf of the future of this place, the kids that are inheriting it, and the other animals here, specifically like when you were speaking on behalf of whales in the Southern Ocean, and about our lack of action here in this country and governance to go down and protect these creatures. I caught that earlier in the year where you just have a fire in your voice, just a realness to it, a real hum humanity in the way you're talking about all of this. And, and I feel like that's what we really wanted to try and share right now through this medium with other surfers and other young folk, just that kind of passion, man. So it's really, really great. I really respect that in you and, and want to say thanks for doing that because there's not a lot of people who are stepping forward in that kind of vulnerability in those places that are pretty dehumanizing, you know, in yeah. the center of governance. Um, and you are there speaking, just speaking real and straight. And uh, so good on you, man. I really. Oh, well, th thanks, David. And, and coming from someone like you who's done an incredible amount for the environment and for Wales as well, that, that means a lot to me.
Oh, it's great, man. Yeah. And it's just great because, of course, we need diversity in every area of life and, and in conservation more than anything. We yeah. need the diversity in the movement to, to have any kind of progress or yeah. effectivity, you know. So, and I often feel like it's not a popular conversation, politics yeah. in surfing and, and even in sort of environmentalism. In Australia, there's perhaps there's a thing right now for like frontline activism, yeah. you know, and blockades, you know, like we had this, the, yeah. the CSG blockade here, Bentley blockade, yeah. which was hugely successful. That's right. But yeah. it was a last minute ditch because things yeah. had progressed so terribly yeah. in back rooms for so long. And, and we had this great blockade and, um, you know, you've got people who are, pumped to go to up, up north, go to Adani or do these, you know, road trips and do things on a frontline level. But, but we need to be talking in these circles that you operate in as well. I wanted to get your take. Yeah, on it's, it's, a, it's actually a really important point that I made yesterday at this um, panel I was on at Splendour in the Grass, because um, there were some activists there and, and, and I sort of said to them, look, one thing that gets me out of bed at the morning is seeing this, this groundswell of young people who are who are now just deciding to stand up and, and, and say, this, you know, you failed us in politics. The, the broader polities, you know, it's not delivering the action we need on climate, on species extinction. But I said to them, you know, we, we've seen these movements come and go in the past, like the Occupy movement is a really good example. You have to have a political strategy at the end of it. So it's great that there's this organic grassroots groundswell of resistance and, 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 and civil disobedience and peaceful protest, because that's kind of history shows you need that. Um, but it has to have a political strategy, otherwise it kind of just peters out. I'm, I'm kind of 40 years down the track of a, a political movement. The world's first Green Party started in Tasmania. I always remind the Germans of that now, because they're the biggest political party in Europe. They've got the balance of power in the European Parliament, but I reminded them that started in Tassie. And it started because a movement of people had realised that they needed to go into Parliament. Like, they needed people there because they'd protested, they'd written letters, they'd done everything they could, and they lost Lake Pedder and they knew they were about to lose a Franklin and see this wild area. This, you know, there was no World Heritage declarations back then. And the tales of people realising they had to form a political party but not really wanting to, you know, there's a, a lot of stress, a lot of hard work. Drawing names out of hats for the first political candidates because no one wanted to put their hand up. So they felt the democratic way was everyone had to put their name in a hat. Mm. And, and, and it started there. Like it was not something people wanted to do because they wanted power and they wanted money and they wanted influence. They did it because they realised they had to do it. And that, that imperative, if anything, has got stronger in, in this day and age that we live in now. Mm. And look, you know, it's a privilege to be able to do it. And I'm still very optimistic, as, as difficult as things are, as we are seeing a lot of young people coming through and they're, you know, they're tending to vote for it. I won't, I won't be overtly political in this podcast, Dave, but um, you know, they are voting and pledging their votes for someone who's going to take action on whether it's species extinction or whether it's mm. actual you know, reducing emissions or getting dirty money out of politics, mm. you know, the kind of influences we see mm. that corrupt our democracy and lead to minds being approved you know, minutes before an election's being called, mm. the kind of stuff that goes on in Parliament that, that especially young people are just totally over. With that in, all that in mind, um, what, what's your general take on on the atmosphere of conservatism and you know that Trumpian kind of popularity taking hold in all kinds all kinds of areas of the world and here in Australia as well right now, how do you view that dynamic of seeing things like Extinction Rebellion, the, yeah. the Greta Thornburgs of the world popping up and these amazing uh, movements happening, but also this conservatism that's going on and the polarity of that 
Yeah. What's your take on all of that right now? Well, look, there's a lot of reasons for this rise of conservative politics and the kind of dangerous uh, world we're, we're going into. And, 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 and part of it's the decline of the fourth estate. You know, the media over the years have, have become quite biased in their agendas and they've lost a lot of good people. They've had cost cuts, so they can't kind of do their job to hold, you know, truth to power. Um, so other people are doing it for them. You know, we're seeing, you know, when a, a 15, 16 year old schoolgirl can lead a global movement, that's something to be celebrated. Like that's truly inspirational stuff. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think what has happened in the last, especially the last five years that gives me hope is whether it's Extinction Rebellion or School Climate Strike or other groups who are standing up, people are noticing changes uh, in the planet around them. I mean, what we've seen in Australia in the last three, three to four years is extraordinary. I mean, uh, I stood on the beach in 2016 doing my little protest the day that um, Cape Grim, which is one of the weather, one of the weather, two weather stations globally that measures carbon dioxide pollution. When it passed 400 parts per million, I went down to West Coast Tassie and stood there and did my little protest. But if you told me that three years ago, we would see the changes that we've seen in the last three years, the loss of half of the barrier reefs, corals, every, every temperature record in this country broken, fires in World Heritage areas in Tassie that haven't seen fire for thousands of years. Now, even as a Green Senator and someone who thinks about these things deeply, I, would not, I wouldn't have believed you, Dave. I did not think things would tip this quickly. Um, and, and they are. And Greta Thunberg, she, she said, look, what got me inspired to do this was I'd seen, you know, what the fires in the Northern Hemisphere and the changes in the, in the world around me. And I think people are joining those dots and they're quite fearful. Mm. They're starting to get fearful. They're seeing the cost of climate and it is slowly starting to sink in them that it's going to impact them. So unfortunately, that self-interest is important in terms of getting where you need to go. But it, it makes me optimistic because I think now I think people are starting to get the seriousness of the situation mm. we're in. And I'm hopeful we can get it's easy, it'll be easy for us to get our messages across that we need to take action. And when you go to a polling booth, you need to pledge your vote to someone who's actually going to do something about it. Mm. And with all the bullshit that we see in the Trump world, um, the kind of post-truth world we live in, you know, politicians creating their own realities, mm. um, the reality of what's going on around people, I think will filter through and change mm. things. I, I genuinely believe that. Mm. I have to be optimistic, otherwise I'd, you know, kind of get sucked yeah. into a massive black hole yeah. of negativity and never and never come out of it if I wasn't. But mm. I, I do I, I do see reasons to be optimistic. Isn't that interesting? It's like it's like there's a conceptual world for some folk and then there's this world here that is jumping out at us and, yeah. and showing us these changes so rapidly. And it's yeah. the proximity thing, isn't it, really? It's like yeah. it's bringing these big issues into your local river system, your local bush, yeah. your local food chain, whatever it is in your local area that has changed dramatically recently, yeah. you can't trump that. You know, it's pun, hate, pun. I can't yeah. stand using that word, but it just No, but actually it's, it's, it's really, it's a but very good play on a yeah. pun at the you, moment. You just yeah. can't. You can't yeah. cut through that yeah. direct experience, yeah. you know, and now that direct experience of such radical change or radical imbalance is becoming yeah. really widespread. It, and it, a lot of people, like you said, here in Australia, you, you live at the top or the bottom of the country and everything in between, you've experienced yep. one of these stories in recent years. That's right, Dave. Look, you, you, you come down to Tassie a lot. You, you're, you know, you're a great ambassador for my state uh, and, I, and I thank you for that. And you look at what's happened in the waters of Tassie and oddly enough, because we're a cool temperate climate, we're seeing, it's, it's globally recognised as, as a place where the oceans are changing the most. So we, we've, we've lost our giant kelp forests yep. in the last, you know, yeah. 
the last three years. At a, we've, at, at a crazy number, like 97%. Yeah, and, and they were an ecosystem that stretched from the north, right the north of Tassie to the south, like in yeah. its own way as significant to biodiversity as the Great Barrier Reef mm. is to the mm-hmm. northern Australia. You know, we, all our aquaculture industries, you know, have, as you know, have got their own problems, but they've all, like, all been devastated, including, uh, you know, the oyster farms with new viruses. Uh, you know, we've seen the abalone industry for the first time ever not voluntarily not even catch their quota this year because mm. the, the oceans are so fucked up. Mm. There's so much change. We've A third of our reefs are expected to be gone next year off Tassie because of invasive urchins that yep. have come down with warming waters. Well, it's a crisis. It mm. is absolutely a, break, a, a meltdown. And, and, and it still isn't sinking into people, but it, you know, going and talking to those old fishermen, apparently at the meeting of the abalone divers, the older fishermen pulled aside the younger guys and said, we've got to follow this, we, we can't, we've got to give this a rest. Mm. And they convinced them to vote for that. And, wow. and that, that's really unusual, but they, they remember the giant kelp forests, they remember what a healthy ecosystem look like. And, and they're like, yeah, this is your future guys. Yeah. You've actually got to do something about it. Politicians won't, the decision makers are too weak, they're too spineless, they're too gutless. So, mm. you know, it's good to see communities actually taking matters into their own hands. Oh, isn't it radical though, that it has to get to these levels? for that to happen. And I often think about um, something that helps me deal with that kind of experience or these stories is thinking of it in terms of um, our own health and our own bodies. You know, like when we're crook, it takes us to get pretty crook before we go to a doctor, get a diagnosis, and then a course of action to try and take care of it and and change your habits, eating habits, lifestyle habits, whatever. Um, but that often we don't look after ourselves until the shit hits the fan. Right, you know? And that's very sensitive to me at the moment because at the end of last year, I ended up coming down with shingles, which is, you know... Stress? It, that's well, stress, yeah, it seems that it was, you know, like I kind of didn't, didn't see myself as being stressed and I thought everything was fine, but my body was just clearly saying, hey, mate, you know... But being over to Japan, I, I went to lobby the Japanese parliament against Southern Ocean whaling and... You know, had a pretty stress, had a pretty stressful trip, and and there's just shit going on, and as there always is, but it was just my body's way of saying, hey mate, you know, take a break. Yeah, it's hard to do, but you know, yeah. and in a way, it's really helped me because I've suddenly had a closer look at who I am, and mm. a lot more meditation, and thinking things through, and visualising what I want to reduce that stress. And, and I'm sure, mate, I might not be around in five or ten years if I don't. So you know what I mean? Like mm. you got to you got to listen to that. Yeah, totally. Well, good on you for having a, a moment to. Yeah, respect your earth suit and so you can keep doing the good <laughs> work. Because yeah. that's what it is, isn't it? It's it funny. Is. It's um, that balance, that personal, and then the, the bigger, the micro and the macro is a real dance. I wanted to just go back a little bit where you were mm. talking about um, needing a political structure, a political strategy with yeah. efforts. And uh, right now, the current red light alarm bell in Australia is for surfers has yeah. been the threats to really the southern parts of the country so through big oil through equinor and other oil companies wanting to go down to uh, the bite there and drill um, to expanding fish farms and aquaculture industries to also 3d seismic testing for more oil and gas exploration more of those opening up all of that is is freaking out surfers in Australia right now and yep. and around the surfing world but we've seen a pretty amazing response yeah. from the surfing community and coastal communities spontaneously holding paddle outs thousands and thousands of people joining in with those all around the country even in areas like Burley and up here where yeah. 
it is not on the direct uh, spill modeling yeah. uh, affected areas, um, yeah. but the concern is so great, you know, and so there's these really great signs of people participating and, and giving a shit yeah. um, in typically a culture that it takes a fair bit for surfers to get involved with these yeah. issues. Right, so we have these great movements happening, we have these great demonstrations, and we have petitions and uh, letter writing going on, and there's people talking directly to NOPSEMA, the yeah. regulatory body, body for this, for explorations and permits and everything. And I see that you have a, a bill, yep. you, you have a, a political strategy, something there, right. a target, yep. um, for all of this to be steered towards. I just wanted you to explain that, if you can, yeah. right now. Yeah, sure, so um, look, the, um, can I just say quickly that I think it's one of the biggest and most successful campaigns I've seen so far in terms of motivating people, especially surfers. And it's extraordinary the fact we've had a couple of thousand people paddle out at Burley Heads on an issue that's, you know, it, it is Southern Ocean based in terms of the risks that that drilling and future developments can oppose to, you know, one of the world's last pristine stretches of water. Um, but it's also a bigger issue in the sense that we're at a, a tipping point in our climate. And it's now is the time in history to be saying, we just don't need this shit anyway. We just don't need to be going and developing new oil and gas fields. We need to be doing everything we can to transition to a new future. And, and that's actually one of the points of optimism in this debate I see, is that um, if I had been campaigning in parliament on just getting rid of oil, oil and gas drilling five or 10 years ago, um, it would have been a lot harder because you know you, you get the you get these people go oh mate how do you get to surf you know you drive your car and um, hasn't it got petrol in it and what, what's your wetsuit made out of and mate the argument is now look yeah I, I use petrol but we know that everyone can have an electric car in five or ten years it, it, it's all there if we just had the leadership to transition and um, now people are noticing what's as we're saying the changes in the climate and they're starting to think well you know. I can do this. Um, so what we're doing is we're putting up a private members bill, which is legislation that we can introduce as a as a minor party. Any MP can introduce a bill to parliament. Uh, it's how we got same-sex marriage or equal marriage up in Australia. It's how I got a, a royal, eventually got a royal commission into the Australian bank. So I was the one who put up the private members bill, mm. which got took two years to get Labor to support it, and then eventually we we put you know capitalism on trial in this country. Mm. And who knows what will come from that. And so I had to give that a little plug because I spent bloody five years working <laughs> on that as an off thing from being away from oceans. But um, because I was an ex-banker, mate, uh, mm. that's important to me. I wanted to kind of do something in yeah. that field. Mm. Um, but the the bill will be hopefully introduced next week when Parliament resumes. At the moment, it's a bill to ban uh, oil and gas drilling in the Great Australian Bight. And what, what, it will, what it will do is it will, we'll have to debate it in the Senate. Uh, so every political party is going to have to get up and disclose their position on this mm. issue and explain why they do and don't, yeah, fantastic. Don't, don't, don't support it. We won't bring it on for a vote straight away. We can stretch it out over a period of time. Uh, I would personally like to go a step further and ban all oil and gas drilling and seismic testing in this country, mm. like no, just no more. Mm. And some people out there listening to this might think that's a bit of a highly ambitious thing to do, but um, the Greens managed to do that in New Zealand. Mm. When we formed government with Jacinta Ardern, with Labor in um, New Zealand, one of the agreements was if, if she wanted us to guarantee her parliament was that she, she banned all future oil and gas drilling mm. and it worked, she mm. did. So, um, you know, we can do it here in Australia, there's, there's, there's ways, and at a minimum we can have a great public debate in our parliament, in the people's parliament where it should be happening. Mm. Uh, and I hope that all those thousands of surfers and people who care about the ocean 
who have stood up. Um, you know, stay tuned on that. Mm. Um, it's, there's other things we're going to be doing as well. So, we're going to so if we do stay tuned, how can you then yeah. continue to really participate or back that? Is there a way, a, a, yep. a way we can do that? Absolutely. I mean, look, um, the, the, you know, as Frank Underwood said in House of Cards, you know, the only, the only real constituent that politicians listen to is self-interest. Mm. Uh, and and when, there's, when, they, when they know there's votes in anything, they will listen. And that's why I think um, the, the broader fight for the bike campaign did get at least a political outcome during the election to have this stuff reviewed. Can't help being a pessimist in this job sometimes and being mm. cynical, but um, it was something. Mm. And it was extraordinary actually that this campaign during a political election had both Labor and Liberal promising to do some kind of review on it. They clearly were worried about the political ramifications mm. because um, some of your listeners may not be aware, but governments in this country swing on just a handful of seats. Mm. It's a, it's, it's a, you know, it's a big problem. We can, you know, even if you win the popular vote in this country, it doesn't mean you're going to win government. And when you get campaigns in marginal seats, um, even if it's like Damien Cole running as an independent here, um, just channeling that energy, he, his 5% of the vote could dictate who forms government in this country. And it very nearly was the case. Mm. Very nearly was the case. Mm. Um, so, there, you know, there, there is definitely a political strategy here in the next three years. I think we can, you know, we can continue to build on the community campaign and they can be a lot more focused in Parliament. I'd like to get you and other prominent surfers to, to come to Canberra and, you know, um, meet with the Prime Minister and, and look, you know, I, I believe that there's, there's a, enough, uh, there's enough brains trust in, in, in all political parties behind the scenes to kind of get it, get mm. a position on this. Mm. You know, it's great hearing what you're saying about this, about marginal seats and, and the power in these locations to swing broader situations. And and as we've been doing the, the fight for the bike campaign down in South Oz and Vico, uh, mostly the last couple of years, um, and when I say we, I mean like myself and the crew at Patagonia going to these small isolated communities yeah. like <clears throat> like Streaky Bay or, or uh, Port Lincoln and Sejuna and all those kind of places, Elliston, that really at the ground zero point for the big oil threat. You realise there that there are these tight little communities and it might just be one or two people, and often it is, who are leading the local campaigns. Yeah. And just with a little push, a little bit of support of them feeling part of, of a bigger movement, yeah. and not just an, an isolated little minority, um, that there's, there's another gear that can be reached in their yeah. motivations. And then, the work of surveying that community and taking that to the local council and getting it on paper is this really empowering process for everyone but it also it can lead to an endpoint of yep. effectivity it can and yeah. and that's really encouraging when you yep. have those experiences because that's like a direct experience of of politics working that's or right. governance working for these people yep. in places who are generally going you know what fuck yep. that world i'm going surfing yep. i'm going fishing i'm just not going to pay attention to that because what power do I have? Yep. And so being there among those sort of communities and seeing through this um, specific threat of oil in these pristine places has been really great to see that sort yeah. of light switch on for people That's and right. myself included. You know, I get really disillusioned with that world um, often and it takes these sort of reminders and refreshing experiences to, yeah. to continue participating and yep. feeling like, yeah, no, this, isn't a this is a course of action that is yeah. um, really valuable.
and it's spontaneous and, and it's, it's organic and, and it's real. And, and the, the fact that you're getting surfers from all around the country paddling out on this issue means that if they, if they will vote on this issue in the future, and they'll write to their local MPs, they'll phone into radio talkback shows, mm. they'll write into newspapers and they'll, and, and they'll continue to push this issue. And it's not that hard to do that kind of simple mm. level advocacy, even go online onto Facebook posts and, and kind yep. of put their opinions down. Um, it, it will continue to build and it will add up. And, and I've got no doubt the fact that it is a nationwide campaign uh, will make a big difference. And look, politically speaking, Dave, um, you know, that spontaneity was, was great to see. And, and it, you know, the people that were running Damien's campaign down south, you know, um, they, they weren't, they're not political operators. So they're mm. just normal people like, you know, um, everyone out there. Um, they're just wanting to have, take some action and do something positive about this. If we've got a few years to kind of to hone that and, and all come together and, mm. and build it, I, I'm, I'm confident that it'll be, it'll be very potent. Yeah. Is that your take on like the paddle out thing? Because for me, the paddle out story is an interesting one. Um, it goes for me back to uh, going to Japan for me yeah. in 2006 or seven, I think it was, yeah. um, to work on um, the Taiji yeah, dolphin slaughter yeah, issue, right? And yeah. for me at that time, I'm, I kind of conceptualised the idea that in a very ritualistic ceremonial culture as Japan, something like a paddle out yeah. would be a great way to get Japanese surfers there with us yeah. and all of us together talking about in a very peaceful yeah. way, non-confrontational, um, and a very uh, effective way to, to create a moment there to, to kind of lift the lid on that yeah. issue. Um, and I hadn't really thought about paddle outs being used in that way much before. I'm sure people have done it, but it was a really effective way to then spread that issue around the yeah. world. It went really viral and popular did, and everything right? because of that, that sort of contrast of a peaceful thing happening around quite a violent act, a very inhumane That's right. act. Yeah. Um, and so then you look at it. Sort of since then, there's been lots of paddle outs that have happened with that in mind, using yeah. this as a as a symbol of surfing culture's concern and depth of you know meaning and what it means to be a coastal person. And yeah. and I'm just wondering, like, do you think it is effective, or do you think it plays any kind of part? It's it's in the it's, it's critically story? it's critically important because. And by the way, that, that movie that you were involved in, The Cove, was, this, I think, a seminal moment in marine conservation all around the mm. world. Like, you know, good on you, mate. That was, it was legendary what, what came from that <laughs> film. No, seriously, I mean, it's critically important because of a simple reason, and that is people are taking action. Um, you know, I think the only thing any of us can do in this, in this day and age is two simple things, is to always remain optimistic and, and never give in to negativity and take action. And those two things go together. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, writing into your local newspaper or joining a paddle out, it's really important people do something. Mm. It's absolutely critical. And I think the paddle outs are highly symbolic for surfers because, you know, they also tend to be around around funerals and, and, and you know, you are potentially looking at, the, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a tragedy and, and a loss of mm. something that's precious to us that we have a connection to. That's actually fundamentally part of who we are. I know not enough people recognise that, but it's absolutely true. So it's highly symbolic on so many levels, and you know it's it's fun. You know, I, I, I unfortunately was only able to participate in the one down in Hobart, um, and I saw hundreds of new faces there that I haven't seen before, mm. and a lot of young people, and they had a they had a good time. Mm. Like they they were they were yelling at the, till their voices were hoarse, and they were smiling and they were splashing water, and it was so empowering for mm. them. 
And, they, and you know, just that simple idea of giving someone something to do, mm. like you going up to the cove and doing what you did. I mean, you go mad. You go, if you care about your country and your community and your future, if you don't do something, you'll go mad. Mm. So it's really important that we continue to, to, to do activities to give people things to do. Mm. It's, it's fundamental to the, to the whole movement. Yeah, and the, and the sort of um, atmosphere that you're just describing, like, you know, having, you know, a pretty good time at those paddle outs and those events, I think is an interesting area to look into, you know, when we think about sort of the obligational sort of motivation of environmentalism and, yeah. and um, efforts over the years to, to motivate people and get people engaged. It seems like if we can make these things you know, fun or celebratory yeah. in that we're saying yes more than we're perhaps saying no. Yep. Or um, you're making this something that crew just want to come to because it's great, but it's also meaningful. And there's community involved, yeah. Then, you know, yeah. there's, I don't know, there's something in that too that feels it, like... Uh, uh, once again, Dave, it's absolutely fundamental that in, in, in we're dealing with some pretty heavy shit here mm. and, and people are getting depressed and they're kind of falling by the wayside. Uh, they're burning out. They're, they're thinking, I can't make a difference. Um, you know, uh, making, whether it's when you do a beach cleanup, you go for a surf or hold a little surf comp or a bar, mm. you know, wh whatever these things, these things are important. Mm. And, and I, and I'm discovering this over my, you know, decade plus of, of, of activism that, um, that you just dealing with heavy shit and preaching to people and telling them what to do all the time and, and, and that they, you know, they shouldn't be doing this and they shouldn't be doing that. I mean, look. What you're saying is true, but you've got to take people with you, mm. and you've got to understand that um, it's not easy for a lot of people. So mm. making making it easy and accessible and enjoyable, it's it's really important. Yeah, there's a great book. I don't know if you've seen it. It's it's titled How to Make Trouble and Influence People. Right, it's the okay. story, the history of political larrikinism and activism in Australia, yeah. and yeah. it's this amazing catalogue of imagery and stories of this happening in Oz, like people yeah. like Pauline Pants Down character oh, yeah. and stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. like all these epic acts of yeah, larrikinism and, and play that's really meaningful. Yeah. I feel like it's something kind of, it's all over the world, right? I really love that part of Australian culture that we ha we can yeah. we can say something that's strong and powerful, but it can also be a bit of a piss take and something humorous. Yeah. And yeah. we see that like we were talking before with them. Um, our friend Damon Gamow's uh, movies, like That Sugar Film, yeah. uh, speaking about health and everything, and then also his recent uh, film, The 2040 Movie, which is unbelievably empowering and humorous and, and optimistic. Yeah. And, and yeah, I just love that part of Australian culture. I don't know if you have any thoughts around that, but... Uh, look, it's, it's, I reckon it's unique to us. I mean, some of it obviously comes from some Cockney background you know yeah. That, um, but yeah that that self-depreciating stuff's really important because yeah once again mate you um you know not taking yourself too seriously on a serious matter help, helps you get helps mm. you get through it yeah and i actually yeah was on on a panel with damien yesterday at splendor in the grass and he's he's, he's making a real difference yep. through, through that approach it's it's an intense time in history mate mm. um and we should you know as cold chisel said uh, laugh or die, mate. You've, you've got to, you've got to, you've, you've got to keep everything in perspective. Yeah. And what worries me is, is not just um, that it's hard sometimes to get people to join into these movements because they, the, the, you know, they're worried. They're worried about stuff. But some of my friends and people I know in the movement who are, um, you know, activists and have been very, have been very dedicated to changing the world. 
um, sometimes there's this self, this self-loathing sets in because mm. they, they don't feel like they're, there's something they're not doing well enough or they're not doing enough in some area and you, you can you can take it too seriously yeah. and, and, and it, it can knock you out of the race. So, yeah. yeah. Which brings us back to surfing and how important it is, you know, yeah. and the idea that, you know, potentially you can say that surfing is a, a selfish act, but, but you're, I'm a better father after I've gone surfing. I'm a better partner. Yeah. I'll do my work better after I've managed to go and be in the water for a while. And I'm sure it's the same for you and, and the importance of that yeah. and maintaining that saltwater link. You know? It's been connected, right? Like mm. it's a simple, um, and whether you're, whether you're bushwalking or bird watching or surfing, yeah. you know, that, um, but for me as a surfer, it's the, it's the, been the number one connection in my life to, to nature and to what's mm. important to me. And, you know, it's a, it's a time where you can kind of let your mind roam and, and, and think about stuff and, mm. um, or, or be in the moment, depending on, you know, depending on what you what, where, where you are and what you're doing. I sometimes hear these criticisms about surfers being selfish and, and and, and, I, and I look at the the fight for the bike campaign and see all these different people turning out on an issue that matter for them. And I was on the board of Surfrider Foundation for a while, and, and surfers have done some really good stuff. Mm. I don't think they're fundamentally selfish. Mm. They think they could do more, by exactly. the way. Exactly, and they're not fundamentally <laughs> uh, conservationists either. No, no or they're not. Or, or, or any political area. tribe, yeah. or a member of any political tribe. But specifically so, with surfing, yeah, I wanted yeah. to see what you thought about this. There's this, you know, we we can have this sort of conversation where we feel in the conservation circles, let down by the lack of engagement by, of, of surfers yeah. in um, you know, ecological issues. Um, but feeling let down is almost just a, a response to expecting or yeah. thinking that if you surf, you have an intimacy with local ecology that naturally leads yeah. to being a conservationist of some sort. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting area with surfing because it is such a broad experience. It is yeah. so unique to each person. It has so many branches that's got that like you know sporty spice angle of just the yeah. athletic jock thing which yeah. is predominantly what we see because yeah. it's in the media with winners and losers it has the whole drama and the sexiness and the, the commodification of that and that's what we largely see but it has all these other offshoots of people who are doctors who surf who are yeah. attorneys that surf who are environmentalists or students teachers you name real estate moguls it's like every yeah. type of person surfs these days um, so naturally it feels like, yeah, we're going to have more activists, conservationists who surf. Yeah. Um, but it is an interesting area where we think just because we have these yeah. kind of spiritual or mystic moments in the ocean with waves or dolphins or fish or sharks yeah. or whatever yeah. it is, or life death moments that they would lead to this sort of work. Um, it's a bit of a myth. It is. It's funny you should raise that because um, after the election recently, I, my wife and I went spent eight days in the Maldives on an, an island um, at Pastor Point. Yep. They're, they're renovating the island, so they're offering 40% off packages. And, yep. and I've always wanted to go there. And, and so for a week there, I was with mostly Aussie surfers, mostly men, a whole, a whole kind of broad range of the surfing community from Australia, you know, different occupations. And we're all surfing over this wave where, where the, the local um, Maldivian guides are telling us that 90% of the corals have died. Yeah. So the, heat, the global heat waves we've seen in the ocean that, that have knocked off half the barrier reef have done enormous damage to the world's global reefs. We were surfing in this wave where plastic was just constantly floating past us. Um, you know, we'd all snorkeled on, on the flat days and seen that, you know, there was a couple of reef tip sharks and a few things, but from what I was expecting, it was really disappointing. Yeah. So we all had that connection and, and, and like, they were all really good blokes. I had a chat with them every, you know, and beer with them every night, played pool. 
And it really surprised me that they all, most of them had heard about Fight for the Bite and, and, and seemed really sympathetic. They all knew about climate, um, but they all voted Liberal, as it turned out. Nearly everyone I spoke to had, had voted Liberal. And it really made me go away and think about that mm. because I, I, I got on well with all of them. I really liked them all. Mm. And yet they, they didn't, not only did they not vote Green that, or, or for Labor, they'd voted for a party that is full of climate deniers that just basically, you know, is trashing the joint. And um, I think I know why they were worried about their jobs and economy. There was kind of just a really, you know, that hierarchy and these are really base thing. Mm. They were concerned about change. They didn't feel like now was the right time. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've still got a bit of thinking to do about because yeah. they seem like that thing you pointed out, Rasta, that um, that connection we all have is is still an important thing to focus on. Mm. How do you get them to the next step? Yeah. When Parliament goes to the next uh, election, that they had that message in their mind that when they walk into a polling booth, they are going to pledge their vote for any political candidate of any party that will act on oil and gas drilling mm. or and banning it or act on uh, proper emissions. And I don't think we're that far from being able to get that message in their mind because one thing, going back to your early point about the state of the world with Trump, people are very disillusioned with politics. It's never been at a lower ebb ever in history. Mm. And they're, they're becoming disengaged. And in a funnier sort of way, that allows them to do what they did this election where they don't really think about their vote. They're not focusing enough on the issues that they should be. Uh, but I know that if you can get to them on an issue they care about, that that they, they will find that a powerful reason to vote. Because mm. they kind of, some of them are saying, I didn't even want to vote, mate. Like, and I'm yeah. like, really? With all the challenges the world's facing, you didn't even want to vote? Mm. Like, man, your vote's really powerful. But they don't realise that mm. until you sit down and tell them. So we've all got a job in the next three years, and I think it's going to be an easier one than you think, mm. to let these people know that they, that, that they do matter, that in this shit environment that we're in, in this shit political, you know, storm that we're going through that they can actually make a real difference mm. yeah well it's great to hear you say that and and i know that things like this you know all play a part of it you know recordings and conversations and everything that happens online i'm actually i don't participate in that world yeah i, I can't it just does my head in yeah. to be on social media or, or just on computers in general but but what i how i do participate is just person to person so yeah. like with patagonia we we make film nights and we make community events happen where we can be with people, yep. hopefully go for a surf that day or the next day and actually hang out in these places that we love so much and have real time with people. And I feel like that's one of those avenues that we can keep pursuing and it'd be great to do that with you um, in, in cutting through the bullshit and yep. getting these real human human moments where you can trust yep. each other in a way that you can't as much perhaps through online Yeah you know, conversations and whatnot. And um, I just feel like, yeah, throughout experience the last couple of years with bite and fish farm stuff and, and seismic testing in Newcastle and things, that people really give a shit. There's a genuine desire for courses of action yeah. to be um, revealed. Yeah. And that right now, there's it's almost like, yeah, we all know that we're in a state of imbalance with ecology. We yeah. know that there's, there's shit going on that's not cool, you know, yeah. because if you fish, you notice it yeah. with the fish species that are, are there or aren't there, all of a yeah. sudden you're getting tropical stuff, subtropical stuff down in Tassie. That's right. Um, yeah. you're, you're losing, you know, so much money because you're not catching the fish you used to catch if you're a commercial operator. All these things are happening. And um, it just feels, yeah, it just feels like it is an, a, 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 an optimistic moment where it's it's so real for people in that way, yeah. um, with especially with regards to coastal folk here in this country 
who do have a link with their local yep. ecology and have those moments. When we go, when you go back to um, kind of the start of um, just more broadly the environment movement doesn't have to necessarily be in Australia, but uh, or the political environment movement. Um, it was it was those kind of community meetings. It was obviously way before with social media and online stuff. Um, we, we're doing what you're doing is critically important to raise education and awareness because we're finding that those through you know Facebook and these kind of Instagram they're, they're good but um, actually going and having conversations is now the most important thing for us to focus. So we're doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, right the, on. During the last election, I, 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 for the six weeks before the election, I, I took a, a film called Murder on the Roof yep. that I, I liked because I was in it. Uh, <laughs> and I, and not partly, but it's a, it was a really good message about how politics has failed the roof yep. and what you can do, like get big money out of politics and some simple things we can do. Um, and all I did was I spent six weeks doing film nights I booked town halls, churches. Right. Sometimes I have 20, 30 people, sometimes I have 200. I had a little panel of local fishermen, experts, scientists, whatever I could find. And we just had these conversations and it was so successful. Yeah. And I felt good about just getting out and talking and getting away from all the bullshit. And we're just gonna start doing that between elections now, mate. We're just gonna be bringing you yeah. down, whatever we can do to actually get people to have conversations. Yeah. Because that human element, that face-to-face, that's -face, it's, it's, it's where it's at, mate. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was, it was classic when we were doing, uh, we made this little movie called Nevertown uh, a year or so ago and the whole idea of it was to have a surf movie. It did contain conversations and themes around conservation and, you know, threats to the coast and stuff. But largely we wanted to, it to be a surf movie. Yeah. Uh, or to at least appear to be a surf movie that would get crew to the local hall who typically wouldn't come to an environmental Yeah, exactly. Night. Yeah. or you know something like that and and it was great it was so cool because we'd have such a neat blend of people from the local community who who may not get to meet each other that often yeah. and you'd sit around long enough to have some good yaks and then meet the people who are working in their local area on an issue yeah. and just get time together yeah. and it's lasted there's these cool new friendships in places that weren't there before and um and that i guess goes back to that thing of trying to make moments celebratory or yeah. like really inviting for people to yep. come and be engaged in these That's things right. that are typically pretty heady or heavy you know yeah and, um, and a movie's uh, it's like a it's it's, a, it's an easier thing for people to sit and watch a yeah. documentary even if it's a documentary or, or yep. a fun film and then have a discussion afterwards yeah because they're just tools they're just yeah, the hook they are, they're correct. just the hook you know yeah. and often you can you can see movies being made and it's like oh well, what the hell is that going to do it's just a movie you know, and there's this thing of, oh, I'll make, I'll make a short video and that's my contribution to the movement. But, but they're just these small parts of the larger strategy of us yep. coming together right. in a world that is, uh, you know, um, dominated by ideas of separation and yep. dividing ideas. Right. You know, it's like, it's so interesting listening to the language of, say, an Equinor or um, Adani, where you have these ideas that you can do this horrible thing, this industrialization of a pristine area in a vacuum, it's not going to affect anything else yeah. around it. It's all separate, yeah. right? And that thinking that it's, it's, it's this real separatist idea of just divide, divide and conquer. And it's the same within the human spheres of those cultures in that yeah. area. It's like, okay, let's get in there and cause some fractions and divide the community and separate right. and make sure people don't come together and talk. And yeah. if we hold a town meeting, we hold, Hold it like in Tassie, Equinor came in, they'd have 15 people in a room, a closed room at a time, even though right. there was like 100 or so people outside yeah. waiting to hear and all ask questions out in the open and all be together. 
the strategy of that company was no, divide them all up. That's right. We have these yeah. tiny little conversations yeah. and we tell them what we want to tell them and nobody hears their great questions. Yeah. And then out you go and then the next group comes in and, yeah. and so there's these amazing strategies, these really militant strategies right. being yeah. used by that. And, 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 they're, and they're tried and tested and, and sadly they work unless yeah. you unless you can actually I mean I think you know often we, we um, and certainly in politics we we don't give um, people the credit for you know they're a lot smarter than we think they are but um, unfortunately in a, in a disengaged world from politics and and from these issues and people busy you know and there's a lot of imperatives about you know having a job and you know, a lot of people are struggling and um, and they are in Tassie as you know Dave and um, sometimes they, they may care about an issue, but it just doesn't resonate enough or mm. they're just not interested enough. And so those strategies adopted by, you know, the fish farms down in Tassie or in Guns, where it's the classic at it, you know, they, well, they start, start suing people too, as you know. So, um, you know, they, they, they work in, mm. in a, in a, when people aren't engaged. So mm. we've got to do everything we can to engage them. Yeah. And as you say, try, try different different methods and mm. um and unify you know, you know? it's like that, yeah. to me that's just the underlying feeling is just yeah. come, if we can make any moment happen where we come together like you do for a paddle out or a film night or whatever yeah. you're directly working in, in a balancing sense to balance out that divisive strategy that yep. corporations or whatever you use you Th that, that's right and, and to come back to what we discussed at the beginning um you know when i showed these films uh the murder on the roof like where they were soft kind of what we call soft focused events so they, there was no political branding I mean I talk but I'd ha I'd invite other politicians to come yeah. whatever um, and then you know you, you chat to people but it's kind of my job then at the end of those film nights to stand up and say look you know, we need a political strategy like if you care about this issue you know you, you have to understand you won't get systemic change unless you do it through your parliaments because mm -hmm. like it or not in a democracy that's where laws are made that's where changes will happen. Thanks to Pete for his service and for sharing his story today. You can learn more about Peter Wish Wilson on Instagram at Senator Surfer. Special thanks always to our sound engineer, Shannon Soul Carroll. You can find his music via shannonsoulcarroll.bandcamp.com and learn more about his gigs and musical activism on Instagram at Shannon Soul Carroll. On behalf of myself, Lauren Hill, and my partner in rhyme, Dave Rastovich, thank you for making the time to listen with us. We'll be continuing the conversation on Instagram where we're at Water People Podcast. You can find show notes and links from each episode on our website, waterpeoplepodcast.com.